Welcome to Just Giants with Grump and the Cranky Fan. I am the football grump, and with me as always is Mike the Cranky Fan. Hey, Grump. How's it going tonight on this lovely in-between OTA evening? It's going pretty good. I'm uh, recovering from a nice Memorial Day weekend, and uh, we're back in full stride. Monday is over, and uh, the pants are off, and things are comfortable. Oh God, that's the most disgusting thing I've ever heard. <laughs> um, so we've got uh, we've got some news and notes from the OTAs. There's been two OTA practices that were open to the media so far, so we have a couple notes on them, and we also have some news headlines and things that have gone on. Um, I guess we'll start with the biggest one that broke today. Uh, Roger Lewis Jr. was arrested Sunday night, I believe, um, in Ohio um, for. For operating a vehicle under the influence, is OVI, something I see more in the Midwest than on the East Coast. Um, he was caught with 0.2 grams of marijuana, and um, the police think he was intoxicated. He seemed intoxicated, but he refused a breathalyzer. He was released from jail um, later on Sunday night and uh, was at practice today. <laughs> Well, you know, there's two things you can look at this. One, not a good look for a guy who's the fifth receiver trying to make this team. You know, it's probably not what you're trying to do to impress your coaches. But, you know, the the bigger thing is it's the issue of these guys who repeatedly think they can get away with whatever they want, you know. And I said this on my other podcast, um, Mark and the Cranky Fan, my Gator podcast, went on this whole rant about pot. It doesn't matter – what I think about pot, it doesn't matter what the players think about pot, doesn't matter what the coaches think about it. It is illegal and it's against the rules of the NFL. And these guys continue to smoke when they know they're going to get in trouble if they get caught. I just don't understand why these guys just think they're above the league and they know they're going to get, they, they think there's no consequence. And for a guy like Roger Lewis Jr., it's different than a guy who could be like, let's say, you know, an Odell Beckham who is very secure in the league, and and guys like this, it's only going to kill their own careers. So, yeah, I'm I'm going to agree entirely. I mean, I will say that there is a bit of a difference between a guy who got pulled over for speeding and had very little amount of weed on him versus a guy who repeatedly can't pass drug tests. Um, but ultimately, it is the same thing. I mean. Whether it's legal or illegal in whatever state you are at the time, the league, it's against the league rules. And unfortunately, in my opinion, because I don't think it's that big of a deal, th- these players are held to a standard that in some states is above the law. You know, in Colorado, it's it's perfectly legal, but you will be fined and punished at your, your place of employment. Um, it's just the way it is. It's unfortunate for the players because I think it's a little bit unfair, but... It, it well, doesn't matter I mean, what I think. I mean, the, the, yeah, exactly. That's the thing. It, it doesn't matter what I think or you think or anybody thinks. It's what the league thinks. And, you know, I can wear a shirt that says fuck you to it to my office. It's not against the law to, but my office may frown upon that and fire me because of it. You have to abide by the rules of your employment. And the National Football League, in a collective bar- bargaining agreement with the Players Association, has rules. And... I don't know if these guys just think that, oh, if I get caught, you know, first A, they won't catch me. But it's amazing how you find guys always getting arrested at like 3 in the morning on a Saturday night 
with you know a bag of weed and there's they smell like a Cheech and Chong movie it's just it's it's insane and a little weed or a lot of weed or chronic it's like you can't be almost pregnant you you're smoking it or you're not you have possession or you're not and you know I hate to sound like the old guy you know get off my lawn but when you're vested in your team and you're kind of relying on these guys you hate to see them losing roster spots and making the team weaker because of selfishness and stupidity. Yeah, and case in point, the Browns invested so much in Josh Gordon. Never going to happen. Um, it, you see it all over the place. And, you know, fair, unfair, doesn't matter. Also, I am, I can say with 99% certainty that there are guys in the league who have found ways to smoke pot without getting caught or having it show up on a drug test. Maybe hang out with those guys. I don't know. I, <laughs> I'm just saying, like, the case in it's point just a here it's a, is that he was intoxicated and speeding. So, I mean, that's actually the bigger crime, in my opinion, because he could have killed somebody. Could have hurt himself. Of course. That's the whole point of, you know, all, all DUI laws and DWI laws and this new, you know, under whatever they call it. It's the danger to people around you. I mean, if you want to do drugs and you want to sit in your house and just smoke your life away, I could care less. But the moment you're behind the wheel of a car you potentially to kill other people that have nothing to do with your decisions that you make in life. And, you know, it's just amazing to me that these guys are such world-class athletes and they're so in tune with their bodies. You know, they, every single thing that they eat is monitored, you know, for optimal performance, the way they, they peak before, during a game week up until game time and everything. The fact is just, you know, it just doesn't matter when they're just smoking. It's, 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 and and don't, I don't want to hear anybody sending us tweets or emails about well it's not scientifically proven that's bullshit it's not in the best interest of an athlete to be at optimum efficiency by smoking i don't care what they say so it's just i i, I don't you know it's just a weakness these guys have i don't know if it's part of the culture or, or what it is but you know until the until the league and the players association decide that morality's changed to the point where it's acceptable to smoke these guys shouldn't be smoking. And get off my lawn, too. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't really matter how much we argue about this either because, I mean, how much we agree, whether we don't agree at all. The point is is that he's in trouble with the league. That's the rules. You can't change it now, and you can't retroactively change it if it changes later. Um, and he hindered his roster spot, for sure. And and I was the one who advocated that he would be the number four or number five wide receiver on this team because I saw what he could do when he started last year in place for Victor Cruz, and I – I think that the guy has a lot of talent, but remember, he came onto this team as an undrafted free agent because he had charges in the past, um, in high school even, that his probation only ended last September. So he made it a year, <laughs> not even. So you're, you're talking about a guy who repeatedly makes bad decisions and a guy that, you know, can well, you really count on for things? I would say that he made very bad decisions in high school, and this was a poor decision three years later um it doesn't really matter the point is is that the reason he went undrafted was not because of skill it wasn't because of intelligence like like football iq it it was simply because he had character concerns and this is another character red flag and this is the kind of thing that he had to prove was no longer an issue and just for the record i'm not saying it's a bad character flaw that he smokes i'm saying it's the fact that he made a poor decision and has done it again and you know he's trying to flaunt the rules basically that to me is the poor you know 
yeah. character issues I have more than the actual smoking of – Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I care less if he smokes at all. Whether he gets caught or not is a whole other thing. Like I said, there are definitely guys in this league that smoke regularly, are able to pass the drug tests, are able to not get caught, are able to not let it affect their playing. I also – I'll used to go out there and go on a limb and say I think there's guys the league knows about and maybe don't go after as hard as some other people. You know, this is a star league system and, you know – there may be you might be very surprised at some of the people that do smoke in this league that, and probably the league knows about, but you know they're not going to upset the golden goose. Yep, that could be. Um, but that's enough conspiracy theories. The point is, Roger Lewis really <laughs> hindered himself. I, I'm certainly disappointed. Uh, I I had a lot of high hopes for Roger Lewis this year. Um, hey, you never know. He might still be on the roster. He, he might. This is not. I, it's not the end of the world, but it is yeah. a, a step in the opposite direction for sure. Oh, of course, of course. If it's if the decision is between him and another receiver, and this is the decision, you know the the tipping point, then you know, yes. But you know something, you might get a you may you might get the four game suspension, or you know might be handled in house depending because he didn't fail a drug test. No, he got arrested. Anywho, anywho, there there were some some OTA stars that were mentioned by several beat writers. I tried to stay consistent and see who gave the most detail, who it was agreed upon between multiple beat writers. Um, but I would also caution people when reading these, it tends to always be guys at positions that were concerned g- going into the season that are highlighted as stars early on and become nothing. So uh, we, we've highlighted all those things. And believe it or not, all three, all three positions that had standout guys were those things. Um, I heard a lot of noise about Michael Hunter and Dante Dion who are the depth cornerbacks. That was my biggest concern. Who are they going against? What receivers? Um, Dante Dion has been playing a first-team slot. So he's oh. going against Sterling Shepard, presumably. Michael Hunter, I believe, broke up a pass intended for Roger Lewis. So he's like right there in the second team. That's not bad. But Michael Hunter had two of the two OTA practices was highlighted for having multiple pass breakups. I mean, it's it's something. It's something I'll keep an eye on, but it's not something I'm going to get excited about. These are glorified drills is all they really are. And can I ask one thing for the Giants' official Twitter account? I need to get a, a tweet every time Eli throws a touchdown pass to somebody during OTAs. Not that important. <laughs> I'm at the office today, and I get all these beep, beep, beep. I'm like, what the hell is going on? Eli, another touchdown to Sterling Shepard. I'm like, all right, guys, relax. Yeah. Um, one of the other OTA stars, which I am a little bit more in tune with, is Matt Lacoste has been repeatedly targeted in the end zone on fade routes and has looked really well uh, in OTAs. And the reason why I'm so in tune with that is because he's got the six-five frame uh, and he has plenty of experience playing fullback role. He's played all over the backfield as a tight end and even lined up out wide. This is a guy that they had hoped would be the versatile guy that would step up, but was hampered due to injuries. At this point, it looks to me like if he can stay healthy, he's the number four tight end on this roster. I think goal line offense is the going to have the biggest jump in productivity this year, and will be a reason we will take the next level. You know, because you know we had no go to guy in the end zone, we had no running game in the end zone, and now in between Lacoste and you know more importantly Brandon Marshall having yeah. big weapons and you know. And me, you know, possibly Ingram as well. You know, those are it's a whole different dynamic we're going to have, you know, in the red zone. So, and not only that, that's one way to look at it. You can also have Lacoste and Ellison back there to block. 
both of them. That's true. That's right. And when when both of those, I mean, you could even go with a two tight end set and not even run the ball with both of those guys because they're both viable receivers. Mm-hmm. You could go with a two tight end set with both of those guys lined up in the slot on either side and still run the ball. There's a lot of things you can do with versatile guys. And, you know, if Matt Lacoste can be almost as good as Rhett Ellison, then there's there's a solid chance that the goal line offense is going to take a significant jump. I, I mean, at, at this point... It, like, <laughs> it can't get any worse, yeah. so... <laughs> Last one, uh, Aldrich Rosas, the, the only kicker on the roster. As far as I know, unless I miss something, they have not brought in any competition for him, and he's kicked smoothly. It's very bizarre that they haven't, you know, and I, I don't know, again, no pressure now. So it'd be very interesting to see when they even get to a preseason game, what happens. But I'm very surprised it's not an open competition as of yet. Yeah. Maybe but, and everything possibly- I've read has been completely positive. I haven't heard one negative thing, not one missed field goal. All kick kickoffs seemed deep and high. Um, and even at one point I read that he did a coffin corner kick. Oh, so I mean, well, very interesting because one of the problems we did have last year was deep kickoffs. Yeah, you know that's in this league where it should be an automatic, giving up extra yardage is a, is a big no no. So I've never had an issue as far as kicking skill goes for the last three kickers the Giants have had. Well, uh, not uh, other, yeah. Uh, uh, well, let's let's preface that by saying on the field. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, I said football related, didn't I? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, between Robbie Gold, between Josh Brown and Lawrence Tynes, not one of them had particularly deep kickoffs, and all three of them were very good at kicking field goals. Steady, steady and solid. Yeah. You know, and and again, you appreciate it more when you don't have that because it, again, it changes your offense, it changes your play calling on third down, it changes everything. So. The odds of a kickoff being returned for a touchdown are very slim in the NFL, but you'd rather pin him back. Yeah. There's one other interesting thing, um, and I wouldn't say he was an OTA star, but definitely something that every beat writer wrote about was that Mark Herzlick was getting significant time practicing as a tight end and playing on both sides of the ball and Hmm. did not look bad doing it. And I'll tell you what I think of that. Fake punt. Mark Herzlick (laughs) plays the personal protector on punts, and I smell a fake punt coming. I don't Very see him as part as the offense at all. I think when you least expect it, I and and back, I I I've said it on one of these episodes that Ben McAdoo has more Bill Parcells in him than Tom Coughlin does. I really do think that there's a fake punt coming, whether it goes to Herzlick or not. Well, he's got that huge menu of a playbook which he hasn't used, so you got to think there's some stuff like that that's on there, just mm-hmm. waiting for the right personnel that we have. Uh, you know, Herzlick is a guy that just every year, you know, you think he's he's not going to have a roster spot and. He's on the roster, you know, he injuries, he battles back from injuries. Now that you seeing these interesting packages, so that'd be interesting. I mean, when was the last time we had a fake punt? I think there were two under Tom Coughlin that I can remember. One was not scripted that Steve Weatherford just kind of did on his own and almost got it and then he didn't. He took the to Twitter to apologize for it and I believe he did another one and actually got it that was scripted and was called. Yeah, I, th- I think you proved your point. When was the last time you did a fake punt? Exactly. Who knows? <laughs> well, good thing nobody listens to this podcast. We're not giving away any secrets. So. Yeah, yeah. But that, that would be a nice, pleasant surprise if he pulls it off at the right moment. I, I could see maybe in a goal line situation where he's in there as an extra blocker being a decoy blocker, flubbing his block and then running a pattern. I could see that too. But it all, it's, well, all, it's all the same. It's all deception. It's not a viable part of the offense. 
It could be back there. You know, who knows? Maybe it's something they're just trying to tinker with and see what they can do. So Sure. Some other things, some other notes, uh, some guys who have improved. It came out that Eric Flowers never left New Jersey over the offseason. He never Poor went guy. and stayed here to continue practicing. Good. So for, for those uh, of, of you guys who want to rip him apart, you can absolutely rip him apart for his technique and his flaws and – for the draft pick, you absolutely can. It's all fair game, but you can't knock him for his effort. No, he wasn't on some boat in Miami hanging out and partying. I mean, he was he was at the Time Mix Center all the time, and he needs coaching. You know, he needs, he needs to learn technique. Could we do an analysis of all the left tackles in the last 10 years that have been drafted in the first 20 picks and how they've done their first, second, third year? How many of them have started from day one? How many of them had struggled? You know, so it's, you know, I wouldn't just look at him in the vacuum and saying, God, this guy sucks. You know, he's just a complete bust. Let's let's do some comparisons to see what some of these other guys. I mean, yeah, there's going to be your once in a decade guy who's like, a, you know, a Joe Thomas or something who's a pro bowler from day one. But exceptions don't prove rules. Sure. But uh, I thought that was pretty relevant news for, for those who want to knock Eric Flowers. You can't knock him for his effort. This is a big year for him. This is This is his first kind of – contract year because this is where you know the Giants are going to consider picking up his rookie option or not and he's playing for his he's playing for a big money contract because if he they don't pick up that option he's going to be at best a journeyman in this league and never make the big money so he has to dedicate himself and sometimes it takes a while for the light to to, to go on so yeah absolutely I don't want to play the what if game but if this team had a an above average offensive line and you know let's Let's assume for a minute that Flowers did come out and all of a sudden it's an all-pro left tackle and is going into his third year. This team's a Super Bowl favorite in the I NFC. Agree. I would agree. You know, even with the deficiencies on the right side of the offensive line, you know, if, if he's a badass and and, and uh, the, the rest of the the left side of the line is good, and you know that means you were going to make an assumption that the running game is at least adequate, if not better. <laughs> you know, then you know I think this team's a Super Bowl contender. I think this team now is a, you know, a second-round playoff team. You know, we're team. a little, we're a little early to get into our predictions, but I definitely think this team is a playing on the second weekend of the playoffs type of team. Um, we talked about Eric Flowers already. Bobby Hart is another one. Uh, I, several beat writers have written about how he looks quicker on his feet, more stable, more balanced. Um, that's all you're going to see at this point in OTAs with no contact, but. Those are all impressive things. I hope I, if the Giants can get both of these tackles to really start clicking, they're very young guys, and if they can continue to improve year to year, that's a good thing to have. Yeah, you you beat me to the punch. I was about to say I think they're both twenty three years old. It seems like they've been around forever, but you know this is going to be their third year each. Yeah, I believe. Yep. Yeah, and and they're already getting into their third year in the NFL. You know, still shaping their bodies into what an NFL tackle needs to be. You want on this team is you want depth. You know, if, if Eric Flowers, you know, I, I'd say more about Hart than Eric Flowers, where if he's not ultimately going to be your right tackle, you want him to be in that rotation to be a significant guy in that rotation. So, you know, again, these guys are still filling out their bodies. They're still learning the positions. And, uh, you know, these aren't eight-year busts, you know, you know, a guy even like a DJ Fluker, for example, who's already gone through his rookie contract, is on to his next team. Um, some other guys who have improved, uh, Eli Apple gained 10 pounds of muscle and got faster than he was last year, according to whatever GPS device they wear 
during practice. That's uh, that's important news. I I would say that a lot of him being faster, it could be attributed to him gaining muscle for sure and working out, but also the fact that he's seeing things quicker now. At the quarterback well, like, position, a lot of it has to do with anticipation and um, and reaction. And your head is spinning as a rookie, no matter how good you are. The fact that his head is probably not spinning anymore allows him to react quicker and move quicker. I think. Oh sure, and again, he came out as a junior, out of uh, Ohio State. I think so. Yeah. So again, the way the world worked up until about ten years ago was he'd be a rookie in the NFL right now, mm-hmm. and you know, having that year, we were just kind of thrown into the fire. He did more than people thought he was going to do. I mean, we thought he was going to be just a nickel guy, and he played, you know, outside, get, outside quite a bit. So he was he was ahead of schedule from what, you know, we thought he was going to be last year. So I, I, I think you know having a whole year of experience, a whole off year to, to to build his body up, more on instinct. I think it just makes you faster. You're not thinking. Yeah, it's hard to run, it's hard to run with your head. Uh, I, I think one of the things that's really good about him gaining muscle is that I did think that he was a little skinny out there the first going from your first year to your second year is the most important year for development i think because when you get drafted you know you're drafted late april into may and a good part of the off-season program is already shot you're not with the team obviously because you got drafted you know when, you, when the season's over you're through the full off-season weight training program the nutritionist on the team the uh you know i, I know some of the big schools like ohio state have a huge athletic budget and they can do pretty well with getting extra coaching, but it's not on the level of the NFL. So they take their little time off right after the season's over and they get right back into the gym with supervised, you know, workouts and, and nutritional. It, it's you see the results going into that second year. Well, the other thing too is that when you go from college to the NFL, you have a good idea of what your weaknesses are in your game. You kind of know what needs to improve. But when you've completed your first year in the NFL, they've already abused whatever weaknesses you have. You are oh, yeah. well aware yeah. of what needs to improve and can address it over the offseason. Usually first-round picks in the NFL are guys that are so physically superior to their competition, especially on defense too, yeah. that you know they just on pure athleticism and, just, you know, and, and size are just better. And you can make up for poor technique. Um, by just your being a physical specimen in college, yeah. you're a, you're a man among boys, and guess what? You're a you're a small man among much bigger, faster men, older men in the NFL. And you're right; you'll learn very quickly what you really need to work on, and you know better coaching, more individualized coaching, and just guidance in general. You, you might not work with the team trainer over the off season, but he'll tell you what it is that you need to work on, so that you can work with whatever trainer you desire to work on that. Is this a is this a segue into Odell Beckham? Oh man, you took it right out of my mouth. I couldn't believe that. So, going into that, Odell Beckham did not make it to OTAs so far yet. Um, the list of people who care is so much larger than I want to admit. I, I, I think the the problem is with this is that he stokes a little bit of the fire. You know, having it showing him on Instagram working out with any other football player in the world. Other than Johnny Manziel, I don't even think it's even this much of a story now. And it's not like he was doing body shots with some chick with Johnny Manziel in a bar. They were working out with a mutual trainer that they have. Yeah. You know, probably working than he could in OTAs. 
because of the limitations of what you can and can't do in OTAs. And it, it's just it's a silly thing. You know, these aren't high school kids. It's in spring football. It's not even college where, you know, this camaraderie nonsense, which means nothing. The NFL are professionals, and they don't need to be palling around and dorming together during OTAs in in, in May and June. It, it means nothing when you get to fall camp, let alone the regular season, let alone the playoffs or the Super Bowl. So it, it's a big uh, – it, it's in the biggest city with the biggest media spotlight with the guy who sucks all the energy out of you know, the tabloids. So you have that perfect storm, and this becomes a story. I will I will say that there are certain times that OTAs, in my opinion, are necessary. I think that if you are the starting quarterback, OTAs are necessary. And the reason why is because most of OTAs are drills. They're, they're team drills for chemistry, for getting the, the playbook together, etc. Um and with that, you need your, your communicator. It's just what you sign up for when you're a quarterback. Um, it's about learning the playbook. It's about learning the terminology. So if you are a rookie coming into the league, OTAs, necessary. You should be there. No question. If you're a rookie, you should be doing everything to the letter of the law. Everything. Yeah. Because every single thing you are doing is being – you know, the, the perception of what you are as a football player and as a person is formed – from day one it goes without saying if you're a rookie you need to be there for every single play yeah and i think if you are a free agent it it a newly acquired free agent it behooves you to be at otas which is why brandon marshall was there brandon marshall doesn't know the offense yet he's got to learn it and he's got to develop his rapport with eli manning if he i mean does he need to be there no but he probably should be he wants to be he wants to win and that's why he's there Odell Beckham stands to gain nothing from OTAs. The only thing that can happen to Beckham at OTAs is he gets hurt. Yeah, exactly. And that's the way I look at it is, you know, I don't need him to be there. He knows the playbook. He has the chemistry with Eli. Exactly. Um, and the other thing that, you know, when I think you should be at OTA is if you have either a new coordinator or a new coaching staff. Sure. Where we're learning – you are learning how a coach wants to run practice. You are learning, you know – what the what kind of tempo he likes to run during practice, learning new code word terminology. And that may be a head coach or a new offensive coordinator or a new position coach. Giants have had none of those, that turnover in this offseason. Yeah. So a lot of get off my lawn people worse than I am are complaining about it. To me, you know, it's not like he's, you know, in Roger Lewis Jr.'s car smoking a joiner or anything or, you know, he's on the boat in Miami. He's working out. Yeah, and actually that's what I was going to bring up. Deshaun Jackson, when he signed with Washington Redskins a couple of years ago, he missed that first year's OTAs and spent it on a boat. He was not working out. He took a picture and posted on Instagram of him on a boat. Um, and there was there was even and, – and for me, that's a time, like I said, a newly acquired free agent. He made a lot of money by joining there. He's got to learn a whole new offense with new terminology. In my opinion, it behooves him to be there. But does he really need to be there? No, he's a veteran. He's Deshaun Jackson's a one-trick pony. He knows he's all speed. He knows how to learn an offense. He worked under multiple coordinators in Philadelphia. Of course, he he can get through training cramp without OTAs. And of course, he was fine when he was in Washington. He was the same player he was in Philadelphia. And again, these this is not training camp. You just made that distinction. 
it's OTAs. Yes. It's a big, big difference. It's a huge difference because different. in training camp and then you're getting fined because you do need to be there. It is mandatory. You know something? If, if it was that important, it'd be mandatory OTAs. Exactly. Exactly. Th- that's what that's what makes me angry is that the Giants have had in, in recent years two star defensive ends skip training camp. One was for contract reasons. His name is O.C. Umanyura. People forgot about that. And the other was Michael Strahan. It was two, 2007. I yeah. don't think he showed up for a single training camp. He announced the night before training camp he was not showing up. And I remember specifically hearing that on the fan going, I can't believe this guy's going to sabotage the season. And, you know, six months later, we were at the Super Bowl. Yeah. We, we were in Arizona. So, again, you know, it depends on where you are in the league. It depends upon your age. It depends upon a lot of things. I mean, I'm not talking about minicamp in fall. I'm talking about these OTAs. They're just – you know, they're glorified walkthroughs. Yeah. I think also a lot of people that are criticizing Beckham already have formed of an opinion they don't like him. Yeah. You know, or, or that, uh, or I, they're I sick hate... of him. Well, again, I I think a lot of the people that are criticizing him the most are the ones that just don't like him. You know, Odell Beckham is a generational hero. Where if you are someone that grew up playing Madden on video games and just Love the fact that the end, the NFL changed the rule about celebrating in the end zone and like the fact that people having like specialty cleats and all of that stuff that's like part of the new NFL. You love Odell Beckham. If you're an old school guy who, you know, thinks that guys should have buzz cuts and, you know, black cleats and act like we you know, just act don't like even been spike there before. the ball. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just kind of, you know, Odell Beckham will never be your cup of tea. And, you know, we know a lot of examples of people like that who just, you know, don't like the guy. And whatever, and so whatever they do is going to irritate him. Um, you know, Giant fans had to live through Jeremy Shockey. And, you know, a lot of this, you know, Beckham has some of that Jeremy Shockey in him. You know, has he cost the Giants games? Well, you know. You can argue that one way or another. You can argue the game he got suspended, you know, after the Carolina game in, in 2015. But the guy is still one of the, you know, five biggest weapons in the NFL. And for, you know, all the nonsense on the sidelines, you know, really other than that one, that first uh, Josh Norman game has not really impacted him on the field. Yeah, I would agree. Some other notable names and people who didn't show up to OTAs, Olivier Vernon, the guy making the most money on defense, the most money on the team wasn't there. Why? Why is there no outrage there? It's ridiculous. I know. You know. You, well, you know, he's a he's a vet. He doesn't need to be there. Like, <laughs> of course he doesn't. Well, he was there yeah. last year. You know why? Because he was a newly acquired free agent. Exactly. Yeah. Learning the off, learning the defense, learning everything. Yeah. yeah. This is not a time to panic. It's not even worth discussing. I, it, it pisses me off that we're even talking about it now. But the conversation in the media for this story went on far longer than i thought in fact it's well, still well, being talked about well grump we're desperate for uh for clicks also yeah, and we're yeah. desperate for uh for, for downloads i would rather so. not get clicks this, this kind of shit makes me mad it, it's really no 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 i'll go for the clicks i'm right. pretty i'm kind of i'm kind of a click whore myself so all right so here's another thing that makes me mad let's talk victor cruz let's talk victor cruz victor cruz signed with the chicago bears and um, in his first press conference, or either with the Bears or while he was talking to the Bears and before he got signed, mentioned that it was his belief that the Giants 
implemented a system to reduce his production because and this, this I mean he can argue whatever he said was or wasn't this it was very clear that he made it known that the Giants owed him money for incentives and he was connecting the dots between limiting his production through the system for that reason okay let, let, let me get this straight for a minute please the Giants are going to completely change around their offense so they don't have to pay one player X amount of money. Somebody who, after two injuries, serious injuries, and sorry, but tape don't lie, lost clearly at least a step. A guy who you know couldn't make his cuts. The guy who couldn't get open. That is, you know, whatever gets you through the night. And if you want to believe that, go for it. But that's ridiculous. That shit set me off. Granted, when I read that story, I was waiting for my car to be fixed and knew I was down $800. <laughs> uh, so I was already pissed off. But that made me really mad because Victor Cruz has always been in my eyes a stand-up guy, a class act. Um, mm-hmm. And that seems like the kind of thing he just wouldn't do where he wouldn't take the low road and sort of give excuses as to why he, look Victor Cruz had a, a good year for somebody coming off of what was definitely was, a career threatening injury I would call it a good coda to a career like he came all the way back he got in he had that touchdown against the giant uh, against the Cowboys you know had an occasional big catch but it is what it is it's like he could have gone he could have retired on a high note with being a giant Never have to pay for another meal or drink in this town ever again. Whoa, 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 and, wait, 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 wait. Let me make this clear. I'm not upset that he signed with the Bears. No, neither am I, but let me get to my point. Okay. Is, you know, instead, he is a guy that's very dangerously flirting with becoming the next Tiki Barber. Yes. Where Tiki Barber was a loved giant for years and years and years. You know, a guy that seemingly got better and better and better, walked away from the game, and, you know, his jock shop wasn't even in his locker yet, and he was already bashing Eli, bashing the team. And if he's not a pariah anymore around the, uh, you know, the Meadowlands, he's still – that stink will never go off him. I think we've been at two games uh, where he was commemorated for something, and then he was inducted into the Ring of Honor, right? And both of those, undeniably, more booze than cheers. The, the first one was serious booze. The second one was just kind of – lukewarm to an, an indifferent yeah uh, you know the, the new york fan always water goes under the bridge you know patrick ewing now is a revered guy in new york sports when if you remember back in 1999 you know the only topic on the fan was they need to trade him he sucks he's washed up blah 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 so you know everybody gets a second act and everybody you know people forget about the bad things why why put yourself through that and victor cruz I would argue was more loved than Tiki Barber oh, during yeah. his time with the Giants. You know, the guy that was undrafted, the, the local guy from Patterson, the, the impact he had. You know, we never. I mean, the thing you got to realize about Odell Beckham, all the amazing things he does, is that Victor Cruz was kind of doing the same thing five years earlier, and you was know? undrafted. He was not a first round pick. No, no, he was you know just a you know a guy from UMass. I mean, that ninety nine yard touchdown against the Jets. Neither team has been the same since. I, I would agree with that. That was a very big turning point for the Jets right there. It sucked the life out of that team. He says to this day, Rex Ryan, it cost him his job probably that play. And, you know, he had a knack like Beckham does of the big play at the big time. And I don't know. The, the goodwill that he had 
you know, it, it, it's again. Now let's put everything in perspective. I mean, no one's been a bigger piece of garbage post Giants career than Lawrence Taylor. And whenever that guy shows up on the field, everybody loves him. Yeah. So it, it's amazing how trashing the team seems to piss people off more than you know being a bad guy. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. I will say he he tried to clarify his comments and say that it wasn't the Giants' fault that his production wasn't up to. He he did. I think he realized he screwed up right after. Um, there's no walking back from what he said. It, it's very clear in black and white what he was implying and what he was saying. Uh, and the numbers don't lie as well as the tape doesn't lie. If you split, he his assertion was that he was quote balling in the beginning of the year and then suddenly disappeared in the second half of the year. If you split the season in half, it's almost identical numbers. He was pretty consistently boring the whole year. And yeah, we could see – we called it out from the stands where he was rounding out routes. Things were almost getting picked right in front of him. Grump, let's look at this logically. The Giants had two legitimate receivers. They had no tight ends. They had no production out of the backfield uh, you know, th- receiving. Why would they decide to freeze out the third best – You know, if he was the third best receiver on the team? Why would they decide to you know, freeze him out? For, for money? Come on. Well, let's think about this money. even more logically. They they had a lot of steam in their direction. People oh, believed sure. in this team. The defense looked amazing. We all knew the offense was a problem. It doesn't even matter. The point is that they were very clearly in a playoff race. Why are you doing anything to hinder your team? Fuck money. Who cares about money next year? They, they're they do, do a bunch of money. If they win a Super Bowl, nobody gives a shit. It, it's irrelevant because there's a salary cap. Yeah. It's, <laughs> Come it's, on. It's, 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 a, it's a silly argument. For, you know, it's just self-justification. And, and also, I will cut him a little slack. He's playing to his new audience. He's playing to a a new media pool that's interviewing him. He's trying to appeal to a new fan base. You know, there's always going to be a New York-Chicago rivalry. So, again, you know, he's playing it up a little bit. So I'm not going to – I'm not putting him in the Tiki Barber class by any stretch. But it was just – Unfortunate from we the type of guy we know that he is. Yeah, and and I think that's the key. I don't know if it had anything to do with the New York Chicago rivalry, but I think a lot of it had to do with selling the Chicago Bears move to the Chicago Bears fans. He's justifying to the fans that he's worth this free agent move. He's worth this money. Not many receivers that have had major surgeries at thirty or even in the league, much less making really any difference. And usually the ones that are are more physically capable. You know, right. they're just they're bigger guys, they're bigger bodies, and that's part of their game. The guys who cut on their knee as the integral part of their skill set—that's not who we're talking about. You know, no, no. Um, I it was disappointing. I I hope that that's the end of it for him. Um, I I and in my opinion, if that is the end of it, and he retires at the end of this year, or next year, whatever, uh, his name will be up on the stadium walls uh and i hope to be at that game where he's you know inducted into the ring of honor he'll be the ring of honor it, it, there's no question about that i mean i don't think he's a immediately after you retire goes up there i mean they'll wait a, a couple of years like they should everybody everybody needs to get a little bit of uh perspective you know, s- space and breathing room so when they can really appreciate it too yeah so i don't know I was just disappointed. I it, it it set me off, and I I thought it was stupid of him. He's a smarter guy than that. In any case, um, that's pretty much all the notes we have for the OTAs this week. Ben McAdoo said that 
he was purposely conservative on offense last year based on the talent that we had. Um, curious what you thought about that comment, if you have seen it and what you think about that comment. You think that's all bullshit or that's a legitimate uh, strategy he had last year? That's personally what I suspected. I am not an idiot. Uh, well, my listen, listen. Wait, I, I am an idiot savant. If there's one thing I get, it's football. Um, and you know, you know that sheet of plays doesn't have the same play written a hundred times. You and the same, that. the same base eleven formation every time. And... Yeah, we've said it a hundred times already on this podcast that has ten episodes. Uh, the player, the coaches know what they have in their players. They know that the tackles are struggling to block, and that quick passes are the way that they're going to have to move the ball and hope that they can surprise them with a deep ball or that Odell Beckham is going to, you know, break a tackle and, and take it. He, and, he, you know, something, and it's not only they were just missed tackles, there's just the angles he, he cut yeah. on guys. He take these simple slants and not even being touched, he's gone. And so it's not even a question of a missed tackle. It's just a, oh, crap, he just went by me type of thing where yeah. it just seemed like it was a simple seven yard in and he's gone. Yeah, he he has what I call a turbo a turbo speed that he doesn't turn on until he gets the ball, and I think it's not necessarily something he controls. I think it's just he's a baller. You know what I mean? Like he he's he runs good at great sports. routes and he can take it when he gets it. Yeah, he's an athlete. He knows how to. He I mean, even him in the open field, he knows what he's doing, right? I mean, he he throws a stiff arm every once in a while, and you're like, oh, geez, he just. I think it was against uh, Josh Norman. He he stiff armed him in the face, and it was uh, incredible. Yeah. Well, even some of the things he does along the sideline too, like to get an extra three yards, like he'll do something with the ball. He'll palm the ball or something and just contort his body yeah. where he's going to get an extra yard or two where, you know, that makes that makes a difference on, uh, on some plays, whether it's getting that first down or making it third and one or, you know, even an extra yard for a field goal or something. It, it, they're big, big things. Yeah. Um, but my, my point about the quote leads me to my follow-up question is, have we done enough? To, to bolster this offense that he still needs to be as conservative on purpose or do you think we'll see more of the playbook and more of the formations that he has on that you know waffle house uh menu of a, a play sheet that he's got well i'll start it with this i hope so we spent the majority of the draft is on the offensive side of the ball whether you want to talk about davis webb being you know this year or years down the line or whatever but even the undrafted free agents that i have written down fullback tight end wide receiver wide receiver wide receiver wide receiver tackle offensive line i don't have a ton of off-season things relating to the defense i think they have certainly tried to address the offense think about the free agent period and what we've signed on defense side of the ball i believe we only signed jason pierre paul and keenan robinson is that correct i think that is that's correct yes it's not as if we're ignoring. The, I, I think a lot of the focus this offseason was, you know, last offseason was like, we have the worst defense in the league. We have an offense that's putting up points. We need to address the defense. And they spent $90 million on the defensive side of the ball, and they ignored the offense, right? Now they have one of, I would, in my opinion, top five defense. Um, and the offensive side of the ball sucks. So they spent, they, they gave a four-year deal to Rhett Ellison, right? They signed Brandon Marshall. They drafted Evan Ingram. Do we really think those, even the playmakers like Marshall and to be determined about Ingram, are they needle movers for making this offense better? I mean, because where are our big problems? Well, we, Blocking, was, run, wait, 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 run. Wait, 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 though. 
our our big problems were and we identified this were the tackles and the tight ends not being able to block so it's mm-hmm. it's important to note that red ellison got that four-year deal that was an important move that i think people agreed initially were excited about and then sort of were like well whatever we drafted evan ingram and he can't block it was important that we had not a single tight end that could block last year versus now we have a single tight end that can block yeah i mean we're talking about a guy who's our who's our starting tight end is we think is on the cut list and a guy like will tie exactly so i do think that um and jerry reese has openly said that he is always going to go for the weapon before he goes for the offensive line star but oh i'm sorry i think we re-signed john jerry um, we also sent DJ Fluker also. I guess it goes back to my original question. Has the talent level increased enough that we're going to see, well, this is our offense and we're going to execute it. And if it doesn't work, oh, well, as opposed to I'm going to protect this offense because I realize the talent is so bad. And we have we at least gotten to that level. Well, in your opinion, what part of the offense was either too dumb or too incapable of executing that held back the play call. I think it was I think it was the collective more to the run blocking, the fact that we just couldn't run the ball and we were terrible in the red zone. I think I, that really I, I mean I'm just gonna say I think it was just the blocking in general. I think we couldn't yeah. protect Eli Manning long enough to open up the playbook and get anything further down the field. We couldn't push the ball because Eli didn't have five seconds. And when he did it was like, oh shit, what do I do? And off the, of course, it was all dependent on whether the receivers were even running a route that was downfield. Uh, and and you're right, I, you know, we couldn't really run the ball very well because we couldn't block very well. In the, uh, except in a red in a red zone offense was just terrible. It's just we couldn't do anything. We didn't have a tight end. We didn't have a big receiver. We can jump ball to. We couldn't run the ball. We okay, couldn't so, get that. So now that yeah. we've now that we've done that, we can reassess your question. Did we address the the red zone offense with Brandon Marshall? Yes, with okay. Fluker. Yes. Okay. Um, did we address the run blocking? Eh, I guess a little bit. I would say with Rhett Ellison, a little bit. I would say with DJ Fluker. But did we did we increase the talent running the ball though? I mean, are we are we ready to say that uh, having Gallman is an upgrade over having uh, Rashad Jennings on the roster? Mm. <laughs> or okay, well, let's say having a healthy Shane Vereen. So I think that they signed Sean Drone as a potential replacement for he, – he's the Bobby Rainey role right now, which is the backup to Shane Vereen, in my opinion. Yes. Uh, is that an upgrade or not? Over Bobby Rainey? Uh, yeah, I think so. I, based on what I saw, and I, I'm not an avid San Francisco watcher, and that, that team is abysmal. And like I said, NFL ultimate team sport, it's really hard to judge talent in a vacuum, you know, whatever. So in, from what I saw in his abilities – I think he's an improvement over Bobby Rainey, who sometimes just couldn't even keep his hands on the ball. Well, that was another problem, too. Yeah, you lose confidence. Um, Wayne Gallman over Rashad Jennings. Uh, I think Jennings had some things better, right? Like he. Well, had... well, well let's, let's, let's look at it a different, slightly different way then. Is uh, Paul Perkins an upgrade over because over um, Rashad Jennings because he's really going to be the starting, get the, the majority of the, of the uh, carries. I'll say yes to that. And I know it's early to proclaim him as this workhorse back, and I'm not doing that. What I am saying is I believe it was James Cratch from NJ.com who picked apart uh, something like 10 different plays that were the exact same play run by Rashad Jennings and then run again by Paul Perkins and outlined what they did differently and why Paul Perkins was able to get more out of them. And he, he pointed to you know the youth of Paul Perkins and his jump cut. So Rashad Jennings doesn't have that. What Rashad Jennings has is patience, um, and he has strength. 
So he's able to run into guys and just kind of chug his way along to gain a couple yards, and he has the patience to wait for holes to open up. The problem with that is that the holes never open up for us, so his patience really just led to him tr- <laughs> right. looking like he was trying to be Le'Veon Bell and failing. Um, but So what we need with an offensive line that sucks is a guy who can make things happen on his own, which is not Rashad Jennings' strong point. But I do think is Paul Perkins' strong point, and I think that it's also Wayne Gallman's strong point. I think Wayne Gallman runs a little bit similar to Paul Perkins in that he's a one-cut slasher type, right? He's going to run, let's just say, you know, for your imagination, he's going to run parallel to the offensive line, and then as soon as he sees that hole open up to his left, he's just going to slash in there and hit that hole. Whereas Rashad Jennings would sort of run to where the hole is supposed to be, wait a minute, and kind of hope that it opens up, and then whether it does or it doesn't, he's going to chug his way through it. So I'll say yes. All right, well, I mean... We'll see. I think we're gonna. I think it's gonna be pretty apparent pretty quickly what this offense is gonna be able to do. And again, don't freak out in week one, week two, week three of the preseason. You know, when we get through the September schedule and we see it's still plodding along, you know, I think we might see this offense try to be a little more aggressive in the in the formations and the play calling. But if it's plodding along like it was, I think you might see it kind of turtle up to be more base than like it was last year. I definitely think that you'll see something more aggressive. I think for starters, I think Ben McAdoo's first year as a head coach, he looked back on everything and reassessed himself first before he reassessed the talent. And I think there's a lot of play calls that he wished he took. He he was more aggressive or he played, you know, it conservative and he wished that he went for the long ball or I, I 100% believe that Ben McAdoo is Ben McAdoo's biggest critic. Um, I also think that he's an aggressive guy. He went for fourth down. For, for a guy in his first year of coaching, mm-hmm. went for fourth down a lot. Mm-hmm. I see a little bit of Bill Parcells in his ballsiness. He's going to push himself to make these plays happen. I think that yeah. – I, I also with, – with a very fine line of being stubborn about it. Yeah. I mean because there's, there's some guys who are just stubborn and like, well, I'm going to do it regardless. You know, That's going to be interesting to see what kind of fine line that is. Well, I think he's going to reassess his talent to see what plays he's going to be more successful in being aggressive with. Uh, mm-hmm. what guys are but I, I I don't think that we're going to I'm not going to say we're not going to see the 11 formation 75% of the time or whatever the hell it was but I do think that his play calling I think the routes will be different I think he will definitely be aggressive and- well jumping just on personnel alone having Ellison and uh, Ingram that's a big big jump from what we had before and that's going to you know it's going to necessitate having different types of formations yeah, and I, I think those guys are going to be weapons. I think I think Ellison might even be a bigger weapon, you know, weeks one through five than Ingram will. Yeah. Uh, based on the fact that Ingram is a weapon that you have to account for, but he doesn't have to do anything. He just has to be there. You know, if he we- lines up and runs the seam route, whether he's open or not, he's got to take at least a guy out of the equation. We have a Monday night game pretty early in the season, like week three, two, three, somewhere around there against uh, Detroit. I think that's going to be like the game where uh, he has a huge breakout game. Like how Larry Donnell had that big game. Remember that one against Washington on a Thursday night where all of a sudden out of nowhere he had three touchdowns and was like, you know, some people were buying jerseys because of that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I could definitely see it like him having like a breakout game, like having 110 yards and two touchdowns and he becoming like that toast of the town type of game. Like, yeah. And that's, that's how giants are. I mean, you know, a primetime game is kind of set up, and we overreact to things we see on primetime here. So, I, I I was going in the opposite direction. I think that I thought that we were going to overreact to. El- I think Ellison is such a nondescript guy who has discrete athleticism that 
you know, with Ingram taking the seam, whether he's open or not, he's taking a guy out of the play and he's leaving somebody open. And I think Ellison is that guy who gets the ball in his hand, turns around and he breaks tackles. You know, I think he's that guy who's got more athleticism than he gets credit for because he's utilized and, mm-hmm. you know, more as more of a blocker. But I mean, I'd say he's more athletic than Jake Ballard of the past or, <sighs> yeah, I think he's closer to Kevin Boss, honestly. Uh, Kevin Boss was six six. Ellison six five. I, I didn't realize he was that big. Yeah. Hey, if we, if we can get a Kevin Boss out of him, I'd be very happy. Yeah, I remember Kevin Boss ran a forty and four seven, four eight. You know, mm-hmm. that's we're not talking about elite athleticism. I mean, but he was able to stretch the field when he needed to. He could break tackles. He could outrun some guys, some linebackers. What you so, need out of the role, you yeah. know, everybody needs to be a four three. Uh, tight end we we happen to draft one that's great but that's not what's necessarily needed from the role i like the way the offseason went i don't have any complaints there was one more thing i wanted to mention june 1st has passed and jt thomas is still on the roster just wanted to throw that out there if he's going to be a post june 1 cut that people expected you know usually the expected post june 1 cuts happen on june 1 oh okay interesting it's june 5th right now uh he's very much a part of the on the sideline, working with trainers, kind of thing. It, yeah, it behoove him showing up at OTAs. <laughs> yes, yes. If you're rebounding from injury and have not really played a game since yeah. signing with the team, OTAs. I'd be I'd be driving the golf cart to bring people back and forth from the locker room to the field. Yes. yes. Um, so so next week we're gonna take a look at the Philadelphia Eagles, the Washington Redskins, and the Dallas Cowboys. What they look like post draft, post free agency, and how they'll match up against the Giants. We have 94 days until kickoff of opening day, so just keep that in mind as we, you know, as we plow through the NBA Finals in the dog days of baseball. That it is coming soon, so. and the and the Stanley Cup Finals. Let's not forget that. I know you're a big Nashville guy, so not ten, ten bucks if you can tell me what state Nashville's in. Oh come on, you're gonna do that to me? Well, what, are you kidding me? Tennessee. Oh, good job. <laughs> Their geography better than I know hockey. <laughs> Did you know that before the Titans started playing there? <laughs> Please. Come on. I'm a music guy. I know Nashville. Oh, okay. Shit kicker. <laughs> All right. Um, that's going to do it for us. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at just giants pod, or you can follow me at at football underscore grump. You can send us an email at just giants podcast at gmail.com. And you can follow me at the cranky fan and my companion show, Mark and the cranky fan also on SoundCloud where, we talk Florida Gator football. And also, keep listening, all two of you who do listen. We are working on getting on to iTunes. So hopefully we'll have a big announcement very shortly. All right. That's going to do it. Go Giants.